Hi, this is John with Prodigal Church. We're so glad that you've downloaded this week's message. Our online ministry has enabled people from all over the world to access our weekly teachings. We're so grateful for you, whoever you are and wherever you are. For all things Prodigal, download the Prodigal app at your app store. And if you consider Prodigal Church your home, would you consider donating monthly at our website, prodigalchurchfresno.com. Thanks again for listening online. Now let's dive right into this week's teaching. I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You promised. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> Wait! <laughs> your water! You forgot your um. Welcome to the finale of our Jesus in 3D sermon series. Next week is Palm Sunday, the first day of Holy Week where Jesus has a triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And then the following Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. We're going to have two worship experiences at Bullard High School, 9 and 11, with baptisms and a huge Easter egg hunt in between. We hope you'll consider joining us. Uh, we are encouraging those who call Prodigal their home to serve at one of the services as a way of uh, giving ourselves away to the community and love uh, and blessing them and then inviting someone to attend uh, the other service with you. And so would you consider uh, serving one and inviting for one? Uh, and you can find all the information or sign up to volunteer on our website or on the Prodigal Church app. I read of someone who went for 15 years and uh, spoke and did motivational speaking at local high schools. And after 15 years of asking high school students throughout America whether uh, in an emergency situation they would save their dog or they would save their a stranger, uh, most students had the same answer. They said they would save their dog. And their reasoning was always the same across the board. Well, I love my dog. I don't love the stranger. Uh, now, we should love our dogs, okay? Uh, if you're watching this from home, maybe you can consider taking them for a walk right now. But today, Jesus is calling us to love a stranger or perhaps love someone uh, that you don't even like. And so for the finale of our Jesus in 3D sermon series, turn your Bibles to John chapter 4, where we encounter uh, Jesus speaking with a woman at the well. It says this, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciple had gone into town to buy food. 
The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Let's pause right there because we've got a few things that we need to understand about first century Jewish culture. Okay? Jesus here is surrounded and has been immersed in a very conservative culture when it came to interacting with women. In fact, within the Jewish Mishnah, uh, we read this. Each time a man talks to a woman, he causes evil to himself and in the end inherits hell. In the culture of Jesus at the time, men do not talk to women in public. Not only that, but not, definitely not at a well. You see, in Jewish culture, there's a rich tradition of wells being the place where you would meet your spouse. And the timing of this is all very unique. John makes sure to tell us that this happens at noon. That's when the women came to the well. Women in that time period would always come to the well in groups, okay? It was safer and they would go in the morning or in the later afternoon when it, the temperature was cooler and the water of the well was cooler. Here we have a woman who goes out at noon and she is alone. She seems to be a social outcast on the fringe or the outskirts of her society and culture. We find out later in the story that this woman is promiscuous and her going to the well at noon seems to hint at this fact as well. So Jesus here crosses a major gender cultural barrier. This is not to be underestimated. Hannah Wolf says, Jesus was the first male who broke through the ancient world's androcentricity. That's male-centeredness. Secondly, she's not only a woman, she's a Samaritan. Samaritans were ethnic and religious half-breeds, okay? She was a different race. Uh, there are two races that have a history of violence and vitriol towards each other. The Jews hate the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hate the Jews. That's what makes the, the parable of the Good Samaritan so scandalous. And it goes way back in their history, right? It all stems back from 722 BC, but there are lots of encounters that perpetuated this hate cycle over the years. One time the Samaritans put bones in the Jewish temple, making the temple itself unclean, the ultimate insult. The Jews responded with sending an army to destroy their temple in countless lives. Just the word Samaria would cause emotional discomfort to a first century Jew. If you touch something that was touched by a Samaritan, you became unclean, okay? It's like spiritual cooties, okay? So this is a woman of a different race and also of a different religion. Samaritans were a different religion. They blended aspects of the Jewish faith and added to it on their own. In short, they didn't believe the right things. So here, in just the opening verses, Jesus breaks down racial division, gender division, and religious barriers. Even if you're not a Christian, how can you not see that Jesus of Nazareth is a compelling and beautiful historical figure? I just think that there might be something to this guy. Why does Jesus do this? Why does he break a racial division? Does he break down, why does he break down gender separation? And why does he break down religious barriers? Well, with Jesus, it's love, not rules that rule. With Jesus, it's love, not rules that rules. And for many Christians, we think tolerance is a bad thing. Verse four says, he had to go through Samaria. Physically speaking, 
No, he didn't, okay? Oh, no, he didn't. Here's a map of the first century. Uh, most Jews would not have to go through Samaria. They would choose to go around Samaria if they were either going down um, from above it or if they were coming up from below it. That's what a good Jew would do. You would never go through it. And yet the gospel writer here, John, says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. So in a sense, he didn't have to go through Samaria, but in a deeper sense, he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through there. He was revolting against the racism and the cultural religious divisions of his day. He had to. The church is asked to cross boundaries as Jesus does instead of constructing them. We're really good at constructing barriers, boundaries, divisions, and Jesus breaks them down. We need to follow his lead. What does this mean for us? Well, I think that there are seeds of injustice and prejudice in all of us. We are born with a propensity to want to be around people like us. So we stereotype rich people, poor people, people of other religions, people of a different race. Who are those people for you? Who are those? There is this innate, I don't like you-ness that has often permeated Christianity. And it masquerades as keeping oneself from the world. But often behind that is an, I don't like them. And if we wait until we like someone to act lovingly towards them, we will never act lovingly towards them. That's not love. We too have to go through Samaria. We've got to revolt against the barriers that we ourselves construct because that's what Jesus did. We got to build relationships with people who are very different than us because that's what Jesus did. There are different ways that we separate ourselves. It's normal for us to say birds of a feather flock together. It's normal. It's easy. It's comfortable. It's just not gospel. Okay. We're not called to be comfortable. Let's continue with the story. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Wells were the places where women went. If a man went there, he went there typically to pursue a woman. In fact, some scholars suggest that, that there was some flirtation that took place between the woman and Jesus. I'll give you the living water so you'll never be thirsty again. She rolls her eyes. Okay, Mr. God's gift to the planet. 
which he was? Uh, here's our call in this story. Mimic the gracious and beautiful way Jesus interacts with others. Mimic the gracious and beautiful way Jesus interacts with others. Notice the way he speaks with her. He relates to her. I think we need to join the story here. We need to pause and ask this question. What makes this woman not run away? What kind of posture did she sense in Jesus that she didn't experience with other men? Wow, this, this guy knows me and he still talks to me. Here we have a woman who goes at noon and she goes alone and he doesn't care about the messes in her life. He doesn't care how it messes with his own reputation. He doesn't open with, let me start with how big of a sinner you are. No, he doesn't say that you should. He says, when you know, you'll ask. In the Greek, the word here, your husband, is interesting because it suggests that it might be another person's husband. Perhaps she's a homewrecker, as some would say today. You would think he would launch into a sermon about her sin. He just says that I know your life. He doesn't front load condemnation. He doesn't put her in her place. He just says that I know, and then her own conviction takes place. The only, says, the only thing he says about her marital life is actually affirming, right? He says, what you're saying is quite true. He affirms her honesty. He says, you're right, you don't have a husband. The question then for us is, are you agreeing or approving of someone's sin by taking the posture of Jesus here? Well, no, because acceptance is not agreement. When we confuse acceptance and agreement, we often withhold our acceptance in order to be clear about the disagreement. Jesus offers a better way. Love leans into life and leans into relationship. If you don't like someone, you can at least love them. And when you love them, you give yourself an opportunity to grow to like them. To love someone, liking them isn't a prerequisite. You can love people you dislike because love's not an emotion or a feeling. I, I was a youth pastor for 11 years. And as a youth pastor, we had our fair share of all-nighters. Uh, these were crazy youth events that lasted all night long. And in my early 20s, man, I loved all-nighters. They were great. But as I got into my 30s, it was like, it's a little late. Um, and uh, I remember one particular night, I'm playing Madden on the Xbox with a particular student. And the game's getting intense. And it's close. It's the fourth quarter. And then this other kid named Justin came and stole my remote controller. Now, the, the clock's ticking on the, the game. Uh... Uh, it's intense. There's a lot riding on this game. And Justin takes the controller. And I, at first, I just, I'm annoyed, right? It's like, come on, buddy. Um, but then I just, something tells me, you know, that, that verse in, in 1 Corinthians, that love is patient, love is kind. Okay, I'm tired. I just want to play this game with this other kid. I'll be patient. And so we start joking around with Justin and eventually gives the remote control back. Uh, Justin would often come by our youth room after school. He would walk home from school, stop by, and just hang out, and sometimes we'd play video games. And I remember once he told me that I grew up in a family where nobody really goes to church. I learned to get attention by making people mad at me. But here, at this youth group, I found something different. 
when I stole the remote from you guys, you guys didn't get mad at me. You didn't fight back. That helped me to want to be better. I don't know if I liked Justin, but I loved him. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, wrote, Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. We all have someone at our work or our school that we do not like. And even right now, you are thinking of that person. Maybe they're the person who brings salmon for lunch and then the office fridge stinks. Then they heat it up in the microwave and now everything stinks. And you're like, everything smells bad because Frankie ate salmon for lunch. Thanks, Frankie. Or maybe it's your boss who totally shows favoritism to other people. He's the one who needs to go through Samaria, not me. What is one practical way that you can love that person, whoever came to your mind this week? Is it volunteering for the late shift? Is it offering to buy them lunch? Is it let them get first pick on the shift schedule? Let them dominate a conversation. Maybe it's a group that you don't like. Maybe it's not just one person, but it's a group of people. Those people, Muslims, liberals, Maybe this week, try and have a caring conversation with them where you just listen. Listening to actually hear their heart rather than thinking of rebuttals in your own head. We all have someone in our work or our life that we don't like. We all have someone probably at church that we don't like. If you don't like them, you can at least love them. And maybe, just maybe, you'll start liking them. Now, we don't have time to finish reading the story. Um, Jesus and this woman have this quick theological discussion about worship, and Jesus says you need to worship in, in spirit and in truth. And then she goes back to Samaria, and she evangelizes. Verse 28, Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. First off, she left the water jar. She came to a place for a purpose and she left with a new purpose, with a different purpose, a better purpose. And this is true for many of us who go to church. You came because someone invited you, but then there was this encounter with Jesus. And now you come for a different reason. Now, the next stage is to tell people about your encounter with Jesus, right? You invite people. That's what she does. We can all share Jesus with others when we share what we know. She doesn't have all the answers. Her testimony, why would people believe her? What did they see in her that was different? She preaches her first evangelistic sermon, and listen, it's the worst sermon ever, okay? She says, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? A man, he's, he's just a man? Who told me everything I did? Well, that's an exaggeration. He just said that you, uh, he, he knew about your husband. He, he didn't tell you everything he ever did. Could he be the Messiah? You're just going to ask a question? You're not certain? You end with a question? In Greek, it actually reads, 
He's not the Messiah, is he? She's negative about it. He's, he's not the Messiah, right? That's how she ends the sermon. She's negative, but she's open. Come and see the man who told me everything I've ever done. He's not the Messiah, is he? That's it. No altar call, no prayer, no certainty. That's what really convicts, right? Thus saith the Lord, when we have all the answers, she just proclaims what she knows, and it's not much, but it's personal, and it's honest. And that's transformative. Is there anybody listening right now, watching, thinks to themselves, man, I need to learn more before I really share and show Jesus. I need to be in church longer. Look at this woman, she just met Jesus. She's not even sure he's the Messiah. And she's evangelizing. She's sharing her love of Jesus. Her example says all of us can do this. You might be saying, I'm not even sure what I believe right now. I'm not even sure if I understand every aspect of Christianity and Jesus and his heart and, and his purposes for me. You're in the same boat as she is. That's okay. You're, un you're uncertain. Soren Kierkegaard, the great Danish theologian, describes an evangelist like a person who hides in the bushes. And when a friend walks by, he sneaks up behind him, kicks him in his butt, and then dives back behind the bush. His friend turns around and sees no one and just keeps walking. But as he walks, he is no longer walking along semi-conscious. He's startled. He's scratching his head. He's looking around wondering, what was that? Who was that? What's going on? Am I being watched? His whole mind and curiosity is awakened and he walks differently. See, we can't be pushy or bossy. We need to give people time to process and to think and to reflect. We're not salespeople. No, we, we tell people what we know. The evangelist is never coercive or combative. Rather, an evangelist should be like a midwife, knowing that giving life takes time and cannot be rushed without potentially lethal damage and consequences. You don't rush it. That's speaking to someone right now. You've been trying to preach at someone for a long time and it's not working. No, 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 no. No, we don't rush it. It, be like a midwife. We don't be coercive, not combative. We know that life takes time. It can't be rushed without damage, without consequences. Now, there are lots of practical ways we can respond to this story. Give to people who need. Lay down something at the feet of Jesus. Share what you know. Tell others what Jesus has done for you. Uh, the list goes on and on. Often, when I'm studying or preparing for a sermon, I'll go to a coffee house or a tea house, um, Panera, and I'll have the headphones in and just study and type away. Um, sometimes I'll take a break from that and I'll just begin to look around the restaurant or the coffee house. And I'll find myself people watching. It, this is a great activity to pass time. Uh, people watching. If you don't know what it is, is, is that you see people and then you kind of tell stories about them and you kind of judge them in your head, right? Uh, and about five minutes into this, I realized what I was doing. I woke up to my thoughts. We usually aren't aware of our thoughts. We run on autopilot. And I didn't like what I heard. Uh, sitting there, 
I see an old, older couple. What a sweet couple. They have such a glow about them. Surely they must love Jesus. Oh, that kid over there, that kid's going to need therapy. Some parents, man, they, did, they shouldn't be parents. Uh, dude, uh, we all see your muscles over there. Dude wearing a muscle shirt. Like, uh, we all see it, okay? What a pathetic way to get attention. Dude, you really need that extra fries? Uh, uh, have some self-control. Pull up your pants, bro. We don't need to see your underwear. Oh, look at that guy, Mr. Spiritual, holding a Bible over there. I'm sure he just walks around judging people all the time. And all the while, I'm running this constant gossip column in my head. A non-stop commentary on the life of every person who walks by. And in the process, I realize what I'm doing. I'm judging. This is sinful activity. Why? Because I'm feeding off the contrast. While I might like attracting attention to myself, at least I'm not tank top guy. While I might indulge my sweet tooth a little, at least I'm not as heavy as the person going to town on the fries. And the contrast is making me feel a little bit better about myself. God comes in and says, no, agree with me that every person who walks by was worth me dying for. This is the posture that demonstrates our love for Jesus. This is how we evangelize. We, the first part of evangelism is choosing to see the beauty in other people. The value, the worth, the belovedness of God in them. 1 Corinthians 2 says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul says, I resolved to know nothing except Jesus and him crucified. That was a choice that he decided on. It wasn't a based on feeling. He chose to focus and see everything through the lens of the cross, God's love, to view them the way God who died for them does. What would it look like for me to sit at Panera and rather than spin stories of judgment in my head, I were to bless them? What if I prayed, yes, that person is a child of God. I pray for their parents. I pray that they have rest. Pray for safety and blessings upon them. Bless their kids. Let them know you, God. Bless them, God. Bless them in Jesus' name. You died for them, Lord. Jesus, you love them. Bless them. That person was worth you dying for, Jesus. And if we did that, if we chose to affirm their worth, if we viewed them through the lens of the cross, it would radically change our lives. Sometimes when we think about evangelism, it's about oh, trying to change their lives. And if we viewed them the way Jesus viewed them, it would be us that would be changed. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. These past couple years have been extremely difficult. Those of you watching or listening online right now um, have experienced your own difficulties. And one of the things uh, that has been so tough is not gathering together. And even in these last several months of Prodigal Church meeting more regularly in person and indoors, we haven't taken communion. Um, eating and drinking indoors in the same place uh, makes many feel very uncomfortable. Uh, but this Sunday, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper together. And we wanted to offer that opportunity for those watching online now. And so if you are here uh, and... 
uh, you're watching online, maybe at home, maybe you have something in the fridge or that you can use as, as juice or some kind of bread. We take this, pause this, grab that, um, and we're going to take communion together. And perhaps this is the first time you've taken communion in over two years. Uh, communion is this powerful symbol that represents what Jesus himself did for us. It was Christ's body broken for us, and then Christ's blood shed for us. And so, uh, as we close our service today, and we close out the Jesus in 3D sermon series, as we look forward to Holy Week, the Passion Week, and Resurrection Sunday in two weeks, who would remember the cross, that we would resolve to know nothing except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So now, would you take the bread? that represents Christ's body broken for you. And in the same way, the cup, maybe it's grape juice, maybe it's wine, maybe it's Gatorade or water. The point is what it represents. Christ's body poured out for you. And not just for you, but tank top guy, your jerk of a boss, Frankie with the salmon. Uh, Christ's blood was spilt for them too. So, in the same way, would you drink the juice representing Christ's blood shed for you? God, I pray that you would move us to view people the way you do that everyone has unsurpassable worth. And God, may we see how that changes us. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. We want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Uh, next week is Palm Sunday, the first day of Holy Week. And then the following is Resurrection Sunday. And we can't wait to celebrate it with you. Uh, we hope you have an amazing week. Grace and peace in Ukraine.